Hi you guys, Coco Moco here and today's episode is going to be about the TikToker who, again, I have not seen growth like this since Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray. I made a few videos about it. I don't even know if Alex Earl ever had this type of growth. We're going to be talking about Risa Tisa and if you don't know who that is, do not worry. I'm going to give you guys some context in the episode. But before I dive into that, I want to get into an award show that I went to, which was the People's Choice Awards. And it was so fascinating. But there was a clip that went viral of Billie Eilish. And she was saying, like, why are there TikTokers here? Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And I have an unpopular opinion, you guys. I agree with her. And I'm going to explain why. I'm going to explain why. Okay. As a TikToker who was there, I agree. So this was the first time I had been to an award show. And there was, like, a commercial break. And... I was also like in the audience. I was there with this company where like my whole job was to document it from like being close to the stage and stuff. And then there was like a separate section kind of raised a little higher with tables. And it was where um, all of like the A-list celebrities were sitting like Billie Eilish, um, Rachel Zegler, Tom Hiddleston from Marvel. They were all sitting over there, Heidi Klum. And then there was like one section of the tables that was mainly TikTokers, YouTubers, which is what I fall under. I am one of them. Um, and I was so shocked at seeing how some of the TikTokers, like I guess I kind of, not all of them, by the way, it was maybe three to five of them. I kind of assumed this was something that would happen whenever I would see their TikToks and like see how the way they would like film with celebrities but it was so crazy seeing it in action the show would be happening you'd have to be in your seat and then they'd be like okay commercial break like you have 30 seconds or they would say commercial break you have two minutes whatever it is and there would be certain TikTokers that would stand up and again it's their job like they are there to promote the show like they're doing marketing I see that side of it 100% 100% but they would stand up and it was like vultures or like hyenas looking for scraps like they would literally just their eyes were like robotic just scanning the room and they would have like one person who was their plus one but was really just there to like film them and they would just walk up from celebrity to celebrities to celebrity. It was like an assembly line. The industrialization of getting celeb cameos in your TikToks. It was just shove a phone in their face. Bonus points if they had a ring light or flash in the celebrity's face. And what happened to hello? What happened to how are you? Maybe like my age is showing, but I'm very, very in the camp of one, I never want my vi my videos to be reliant on getting like celebrities in them all the time. Maybe one day if I'm doing like a talk show where I'm interviewing people, I would love that. But on their own accord, I would never want, I'd rather be a smaller TikToker. I said, I mean, I have a million. I'm not an underdog anymore, but I would rather be viral on my own merit than based on shoving a camera in people's faces at events. Maybe I also just still am like, again, showing my age and I still believe in the value of a sacred 
connection and like seeing people as humans and looking them in the eye. Um, the clip of Billie Eilish kind of saying like, why are TikTokers here? I think it makes sense with knowing specifically the way Billie Eilish is at like concerts and stuff. She, even if you're just in the audience, like she very much doesn't always want phones recording. Like she wants people to just be in the moment. I remember there was a clip of her, I think it was like an after party for the Met Gala and it was other celebrities there. So it wasn't like there were like other people, but I remember her being like, why do people have their phones out? Like they were shoving their phone in the face of a performer and it was a very small, intimate setting. And she had to like talk about that statement later and was like, I wasn't mad at the people there. I was just mad that like everyone had their phone out in a moment that could have been, you know, a really memorable time where we were just literally like looking in the eye of the person performing and appreciating them. So I think it tracks that she felt that way because it was honestly kind of crazy seeing the way that some TikTokers would stand up. Like they'd be like, three, two, one, commercial. Stand up. Their eyes would just scan the room. Doom, 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 doom. Left to right, left to right. They would beeline for someone with their flash on, camera on, film in their face. Again, what happened to hello? What happened to how are you? And then they, once the interaction was done, they would just stand up. Doom, 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 doom. Scan the room speed walk to the next person and it just felt so impersonal it felt so robotic again maybe I'm overthinking it they're there to do marketing I'm not hating on anyone's job like I talk about marketing I I get kind of like annoyed in my comments when someone's like why are you over analyzing the algorithm I'm like baby that's my bread and butter that's how I put a, a roof over my head that's how I made my money so I get it I get it I get it but I understand both sides is what I'm saying and I understand why Maybe Billie Eilish felt that way. Also, it looks like she was being filmed during a private conversation that she didn't know was going to be filmed. So those are things to consider as well. But I just had never seen it in person, seen the way some people operate. And I guess maybe I'm different. I feel like for me, the more famous or like the more that I've seen someone online like to me I always say my A-list like my my Marvel Cinematic Universe is Vanderpump Rules like they're the ones that I they're my A-list so if I ever meet someone who's like a celebrity or they're so respected in their craft they're huge I've seen them online I see them on TV I'm actually I feel like more distant from them because I don't want to seem like a crazy fan. I feel like sometimes I shoot myself in the foot because I'll be slow at like texting them back because I just psych myself out and I'm like, I don't want to be crazy. Like I just want to be chill. Um, so I guess there's two sides of the coin. Just some people are more aggressive. Some people are like sharks, you know, they just, they're there to get those clips. They know that's how they make their money. And I do wonder though, if in the long run, if it can be a little off-putting, to some situations what happened to hello what happened to how are you is what I say to that you know just look them in the eye you don't have to film the interaction just look them in the eye and say you know I'm so happy I got to meet you whatever that was my thoughts on that again I see both sides I'm not knocking anyone's ability to make money I'm just saying I had never seen it in person and it looks crazy in person to see 
even what I was most shocked at for some was like on the TikTok and maybe it's just them saving their emotional energy for filming but like in the TikToks they're very happy they're very bubbly they're very like smiley and whatever it is and then the moment like they stopped recording with the celebrity like those 30 seconds or whatever just dead face like panned face like just like totally shut down and then the moment the ring light went back on and they were in front of another celebrity it was like hi da 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 like it popped right back up and again I think part of that is just like when you film that much and when that's kind of like I always think of the people on YouTube in 2016 that was like hi you guys what's up welcome back to my next vlog like da 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 whenever they would come into my jobs for like interviews like celebrity interviews they would I would always be shocked at like the more like hyper someone is in their online persona the more kind of quiet they are when the camera isn't filming and I think it's because they literally have to like recharge their battery whereas I feel like I'm different I think when I film I'm more soft-spoken because I get like I don't know if it's like nerves I just I think in general I just speak soft um and so on camera that translates as someone maybe being shy or quiet but if you ask any of my friends especially my friends from college like I'm super talkative in person I'm super like hyper I'm like let's get hype like I I'm so different I think um and I but I still am soft-spoken I just just because I'm quiet doesn't mean I don't talk a lot I just talk a lot quietly so I get it I get all of it I see all sides and I'm just telling you guys as a TikToker who was in the room I understand why Billie Eilish was shocked at so many TikTokers in the room but it was not all TikTokers who were shoving phones in people's faces it was a select few and I'll leave it at that I'll leave it at that so now we are going to get into what this episode is about. Um, we're going to be talking about Risa Tisa, the the woman taking over the feed and doing something that I think is making social media history. I think this is going to be a bookmark that people look back on in years to come. And I'm just it, it reminds me of the magic of TikTok again which makes me so happy. We've been having great discussions about this in my Discord, which I will link down below in the show notes, link in the show notes, my Discord if you guys want to talk like before the link. The link like expires, Discord is so weird. So if you guys are listening to this, you can try to get into the Discord before the link expires. And I'm also filming a show for YouTube right now, but it's kind of a secret. I can only give away so much without getting in trouble so let's just say there's a movie theater involved there's interviews involved and it's going to be on my youtube and you guys are so smart my discord clocked that i deleted like a lot of things on my youtube because we're like clearing house it's like a blank canvas we're gonna let all the videos live there and I did not even think that you guys would notice that, but I was flattered that you guys even care. I was like, oh my God, hi. Um, I was kind of like, wow, like I've never been the type of person where like whenever like Ariana Grande like changes her profile photo or like gets rid of like old photos to like start a new chapter and people like notice it right away. I never thought that like that would happen to me and damn, like thank you guys. Um, But if you guys go subscribe to my YouTube you will maybe get some hints. You'll maybe see me changing a couple things, 
you know, changing a profile photo here and there, changing a little branding. It is my baby that I've been working on. And it's like, it's it. I can't talk about it completely yet, which like kills me because I'm a Gemini moon. I want to tell you guys all my secrets. I feel like my podcast is my safe space where I can kind of talk about it. So if you subscribe to the YouTube, you might notice a couple things and I'll leave it at that. Now, Going into what this podcast is about, which is Risa Tisa, I'm going to be, I notice that my podcasts do well when I just like write down the essay format of what I want to say. Like I basically read it off like an essay that way I can like do my research, I can do this and I can do that. So that is what, if you notice my cadence change, it's because I'm doing that. Those episodes just perform really well. And as always, if you guys give this a rating, that helps me so much grow on the charts. Thank you for those of you who have left five stars. If you've already left five stars and you still want to support, you, I think you can like rate specific episodes and give them whatever rating you want to give me. I love the positive feedback. It lets me know people are looking forward to these episodes. And I also appreciate, you know, when you guys give constructive criticism. I'm always here for it. I'm always trying to get better. I just noticed that... You guys really, really loved my solo episodes. That's why I'm not doing as many interviews. So I'm leaning into the um, the tips that you guys have given me, which is really doing these solo episodes. And I'm very happy to do that. I can ramble. If you guys have any friends who like marketing, podcasts, etc., share it with them. And now let's dive in. Here we go. I recently read the book Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. I will link that as well in the show notes. And in the book, there's a chapter about how Blue's Clues overtook Sesame Street as little kids' favorite puppet show. Blue's Clues was launched and had a problem. They couldn't afford to compete with Sesame Street, or so they thought, and create a new episode every day of the week like their rivals. So they couldn't, you know, afford to have crew and cast to film Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So in an act of resourcefulness, they decided to still launch the show, but what they would do is they would air the same episode over and over again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, until they could afford to record a new episode for the following week. So they would do one episode, rerun, 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 and then the next week it would be new episode, and then rerun, 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 rerun. Surprisingly, This act of resourcefulness ended up being why this show became a huge hit and ended up giving their rivals at PBS Sesame Street a run for their money. So why did the show succeed? Why did it become, I'm sure you guys all know Blue's Clues, it's a household name. Why did it become a household name when it couldn't compete with their rivals? It couldn't afford to compete with their rivals. That's exactly why. So in the book Tipping Point, and this book is really fascinating, it's all about why things go viral. If you work in marketing, I encourage everyone to read it. It's about the factors as to why something goes viral, why it takes off, etc. Now, what they talk about in the book is that they think that the reason it went viral is because kids and just humans in general actually like predictability. They liked watching the same episode over and over again, especially if you're a toddler who 
every single day you're being exposed to new information and new words, it can actually be overwhelming to watch a show where every single episode feels new and there's a new word that you're learning and there's new characters. But Blue's Clues was predictable, it was safe, and it was a pattern, and they were airing the same episode over and over again. So it gave toddlers confidence because they would watch the episode on Monday, they'd learn a new word, and then throughout the week, they were, you know how Blue's Clues is kind of like Dora the Explorer, where they'll be like, can you help me find the envelope in the room? Where is the envelope? And you're like, over there, over there. Right, that's something Nickelodeon does really well. So the kids knew what was coming in the script and they were getting these this confidence. They were like, heck yeah, like I know where the envelope is going to be over there, over there. Or I know what the word's going to be, tomato, tomato. You know, like they knew what was coming and it gave them so much confidence and excitement. And it was giving them this positive reinforcement that they that they needed. And the new puppet show on Nickelodeon called Blue's Clues became a hit, it became a success. And they even said, like Sesame Street, obviously still a huge show, but they kind of had this like identity crisis where they were trying to figure out why their numbers were dropping and that maybe part of it in that moment was because they were throwing too many new things at the wall. They weren't being predictable. Um, it might have been overwhelming for people watching to see a new, a new person on screen every day, whatever it was. So they realized with Blue's Clues, that reruns actually stoked enthusiasm and excitement in the audience. And so I like to call this marketing phenomenon the Blue's Clues effect. So what does this have to do with TikTok and growing in the year 2024? A year when it has become harder and harder to grow, but not impossible. It's never impossible and it's never too late. But this is where Risa Tisa comes into the conversation. She began posting a deep dive story time about a week ago called Who the F Did I Marry? about her ex-husband. Her story, captivating. Her delivery, like, so great. Because I think in a world on TikTok of people trying to get viral hooks and speaking really fast and da-da-da-da, she delivers the information slowly, clearly, and she's organized and methodical. And I love when she goes, now keep in mind... Because I'm like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I forgot that he also said this. Now, this started barely a week ago. She's a smaller account. When I first heard of her account, she had barely hit 100,000. And it's just so refreshing to see someone so earnest on TikTok in a world of copycats. And myself, I've, when I felt uncreative at times, I'll be like, everyone else is doing Get Ready With Me's, I'll do Get Ready With Me. But guess what? Those videos don't perform well. Because there's a million girls doing Get Ready With Me's better than I ever could, you know? But, like, Risa is doing something and it's so earnest. It's so genuine. It's so not influenced by anyone else on the app. And that's what makes it great. She wasn't relying on viral hooks or trends or dances. She's just genuinely telling a story to her phone. And as the viewer, you're unsure of what lies ahead. But you know that you recognize her face and it feels comfortable and predictable and that's where the magic comes in now one way that i predict if someone is going to transcend into fame or not is through what i call social proof but first let's define what we mean by fame here because it has a lot of meanings i'm not referring to gaining your own audience you could have 10,000 followers or you could have 10 million followers and never hit the most important step of social proof there's people 
that I meet who have over 10 million followers and I wouldn't consider them famous because I don't and I again myself I don't think I'm there either but if they have not hit this step called social proof so what I'm referring to is someone has to have become a catalyst for conversation even outside of their own audience that is social proof there has to be other people unrelated to them talking about them in videos for them to be experiencing social proof it can't be like they collaborated with a friend who also has an audience or like their partner made a video it has to be someone who has no horse in the race someone who's not tied to them in any which way making a video about them that's social proof they have to become the conversation, not just part of the conversation. The first time I heard of Risa Tisa is because other people were making videos about her. So I looked her up. I decided to binge and it was captivating. This story is one I will let her tell. So if you guys really want to know, like I'm not getting into the logistics of the story. That is for her to tell. It's about a person that she married. Who the F did I marry? They were lying. Uh, as she says, maybe a pathological liar. So you guys can watch that on her profile. But it was just so refreshing to watch someone who wasn't a victim to trends, to dances, to viral hooks or strategies. She just showed up as herself with a story to tell and boom. I took a screenshot of her account to show my Discord. And when I took that screenshot, she was at 100,000 followers, like 100,000 and some change. The next day, she hit 600,000. I went to the gym, and when I was done working out, she had hit 640,000. It's the following day, less than 24 hours between 600,000 and, and now she's hit a, over a million followers. At one point yesterday, she gained 100,000 followers in like an hour. We have not seen growth this fast on TikToks since Kobe Lame. Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Ray. I could be wrong, like Alex Earl has social proof that what makes her so powerful, but I don't think Alex Earl ever grew 500,000 followers in 24 hours, but I could be wrong, I don't know. I'm just using these as an example of we truly have not seen growth like this. But why is she growing? Why is she blowing up? For years, for years, for years, I have predicted that long-form media was going to make a comeback on TikTok. Now, why is that? Because TikTok had a monetization problem. YouTube, the reason that it makes so much money is because they have creators that are making 8-minute videos, 10-minute videos, 30-minute videos, hour-long videos, and so they can slip in mid-roll ads. Because it's understandable that an audience would watch a 30-second ad for a 30-minute video. It's worth it, right? But if you are watching a 10-second renegade dance, why would you watch a 30-second ad to watch that? It wouldn't make sense. So long videos are key to monetization. Now, back when... When I was talking about the rollout of these longer videos, I predicted that in 2024 specifically, 10-minute videos would be the way that someone was going to go viral. The next star on TikTok is going to come from long, 10-minute long videos. 
2022. I predicted that in 2023, the way that someone would go viral is through live streams. And then we had Pinky Doll. There's so many factors that go into why I think that 10-minute videos are being pushed aggressively in the algorithm, and I'll get into that. But when I was on TikTok in like 2022 for work when I was at BuzzFeed, and they only had a three-minute option, I remember telling my coworkers, it was two of them, we were sitting at our desk, and I said, 10-minute videos are on the horizon because I was in the TikTok app. It was my job to just look through the app. And I would always notice when they were changing certain things. And I noticed that in the commercial audio library, TikTok began posting eight to nine minute songs in the commercial library. And I thought they're only going to do that if they're about to roll out a 10 minute feature. And I told my coworkers that and they practically laughed me out of the room. And I get it. They were like, there's no way. Like, this is a short form app. Like, no one's ever going to watch a long video on TikTok ever. I was like, no, trust me, it's going to happen. So that was two years ago that I predicted that. And funny enough, I was actually in New York City this last fall at the TikTok New York headquarters. And one of the employees actually pulled me aside and was like, your ability to predict that 10 minute videos by perusing our audio library was insane. Like, that's insane. Like, so I really believe in my pattern recognition. I really believe in these things. I'm not always right, but sometimes I am. Now, Risa began posting 10-minute clips to her channel in an act of resourcefulness. I don't think that it's this, I don't think she has a whiteboard and she's not brainstorming and she's not like a, mar- you know, she's not like, she's not like an industry plant. She doesn't have like all these people behind her. I think that it was like Blue's Clues, it was an act of resourcefulness because she was posting these live streams where she would go live for like an hour and then she would talk about her story and then she would pull some of those clips and break them into six-minute, 10-minute, you know, six-part, 10-minute clips. So it was an active resource when I also think the story was just really long. So she was really just wanting to talk as long as she could for each part. So if she's uploading between, you know, four and 10 videos a day, each one is about 10 minutes long. She's uploading between 40 minutes to two hours of content every single day about the same exact story. She isn't changing content. She isn't chasing trends and she's not doing what everyone else is doing. No one was doing this 10 minute long story time. That is where she's hitting the freaking money. I hope she has her creativity beta program turned on because I do not know the exact numbers. But if I could guess how much money she's making a month based on my own professional opinion and her views, I would not be surprised if she could be making upwards of twenty to $30,000 a month, maybe more with the numbers that she's getting. To grow to 500,000 followers, like to not just to 500,000, but to have an uptick of 500,000 followers overnight in 2024 is unheard of until now. She set the expectations with her audience that every day she was going to upload the next few parts of her story. By setting the expectations of what they can get, people are more likely to follow. She's also uploading to a playlist so you can go back and binge. I noticed so many of my comments on my videos about Risa Tisa were like, we love that she has a playlist so I can just binge it. Some people find it annoying, but for me, like whenever I do, I find it annoying too. Like I, I, I get bored saying it, but I just... It's part of the job. Whenever I do my intro on certain marketing videos on TikTok, the numbers don't lie. Like I'll tell my audience, you know, I'm Kokomoko. I work in media. I've made a career off accurately predicting stars and trends. 
for some reason, the follower conversion is crazy. It gets so many followers. It gets so many numbers. And I think because I'm just setting the expectation of this is who I am. This is what I talk about on my profile. People want to know what they're getting into before they sign up. You never want to be pigeonholed in a niche, but don't stray away from something that works either. If you find a niche that works for you, do it until the wheels fall off. When it comes to Risa niching down and elaborating on the same story every single day, it is working. People are craving familiarity and a good story. And she is doing that better than everyone else right now. Again, a factor that I cannot teach you in a podcast is captivating storytelling. And that is what she does well. Now, some outside factors that I think is why Risa was able to catch lightning in a bottle and make TikTok in internet history. By the way, within a week of her starting her series, she had a web page on knowyourmeme.com. That is crazy. Like, it just shows the power of her series and what's happening. So, a few weeks ago, these are all the factors that come at play that make the tipping point, right? UMG, Universal Music, pulls their music off TikTok. I have an episode about that. I'll link it in the show notes. And I predicted that because that happened, I suspected that we were going to see an uptick of longer videos being pushed in the algorithm. In my opinion, TikToker, TikTok no longer wants to rely on trending audios and music to create new trends because they've been scorned, right? They're like, oh no. Instead, they are going to actively seek out creators who are talking directly to the camera for long periods of time. If Risa had started her series five months ago, I think it would have gone viral, but I don't think it would have gone as viral as it has become. I think she hit a tipping point with TikTok actively looking for longer storytelling videos as a way to shift the entire platform away from relying on trending audios. And I think the success of her series is going to change the platform forever. I saw a comment on TikTok asking if her story would have worked on YouTube. I think it could have worked in like 2015 when story times were really big. Think Tana Mojo, think Simply Nessa. But the way that the algorithm works on YouTube right now, I don't think so. YouTube is pushing challenges like Mr. Beast or YouTube Shorts. The beauty of TikTok that no other app is really able to compete with, they try and I think they're getting there, but... The beauty of TikTok is that they show you videos that you didn't even know that you were interested in. I would have never thought to Google, woman marries lying man in Atlanta, you know, four hour story time. I didn't even know that that story existed until it came up on my For You page. But what Risa does next is going to be the most important decision of her career. And if she wants to email me and I can help her for free, I would love to. I would love to just take her out to coffee and be like, hey, you're brilliant. But Eventually, this story is going to come to a conclusion, and it sounds like it was a very scary, debilitating, traumatizing story, and so you hope that it comes to a conclusion, you know, like just for her own sake. I know for me, I always say like I value having a boring life. I value that I don't have stories like this to tell because it means I have a very boring, predictable life, and that's what I like. But even with her story going viral, there's already issues with people violating the privacy of those involved and doxing them against her wishes, potentially putting her and her family in danger. Just because a story goes viral doesn't mean those who saw it have ownership over those involved. Always keep that in mind. 
Lots of people have said that Lifetime or Tyler Perry should pick this up for a movie. I, I think so. I think that's cool. However, what made it interesting was Risa. So unless she's being cast as the actor in it, I'm not sure it would like stick the same way. I think she's what's captivating. She's telling the story from her car, from her bedroom, from her bathroom. It's so like, as people always say, like on FaceTime with a friend, I don't know that that would translate over. I think instead, again, I could be wrong in that opinion, but I think instead what Risa should do is I think that after this, she should start a talk show. Every week she can interview someone with a crazy story similar to hers, but it would have to be like, they would have to talk for like four to five hours. And then she would release it in multiple parts. I, it can't just be a one story, one and done. Because what made her story so interesting is she was telling the same story in multiple parts over the course of a week. Maybe a way, because part of my job is finding how to take these big giant ideas and making them digestible and easy to execute. What she could do is, and I think TikTok should pay her for the exclusive exclusivity rights, I don't know if I'm getting that word right, but she could go on live stream and there could be people who call into her live streams like that duet option, as you guys have seen, and they tell her their crazy story and then she reacts and she gives her opinion and then she crops those down into 10 minute clips to post onto TikTok. Similar to what we've seen with the success of Terry Joe and It's Psychonic. She's already been posting a lot of live streams. So her audience is already trained to expect to tune into her lives. So she has real estate there that makes sense. I think that TikTok should pay for the rights to her show. I think that it could help. Like she should have a team behind her that helps source audience members and production value. Especially with my beloved Wendy Williams no longer doing the show. And there's just like this gap in the market for daytime drama talk shows. But in conclusion, Risa has reminded me of the magic of this app and why I fell in love with it in 2019. It's one of the only apps that can really change someone's life overnight. And as a user, it shows us people we would have never thought to Google. It humanizes people in a way that I've never seen. Her virality is a reminder that you should only pay attention to trends so you can do the opposite. She wasn't doing get ready with me's or lip syncing. She showed up as her with a story to tell. And this show, this success should be a great sign to anyone listening that it's never too late to start social media. A great example that I'll end with is YouTube was created, I believe, in 2007. I, it's, one, it's around that time frame. And I remember watching a video when I was in college in 2015. And it was this guy, he said... Is it too late to start YouTube? Yes. It's way too, you miss the golden age. No one's going to get famous on YouTube again. And I remember I had a YouTube channel where I do like dorm tours and I deleted my channel because I felt embarrassed. I was like, he's right. There's no, there's no more success in this app. But then guess who didn't start their YouTube channel until 10 years after YouTube was created? Emma Chamberlain. Emma Chamberlain posted her first video 10 years after YouTube's inception, and she became one of the most successful YouTubers in its history, hosting the Met Gala, something that only her and Liza Kosha have done. 
So it's never too late. And let this be a sign. Yes, we had the Kabi Lames, the Brittany Broskis, the Charlie D'Amelios of 2020. But now we're having the Risa Tisas of 2024. And I think we're going to have a lot more Risa Tisas to come. And I'm really excited to see her and her success continue. She just reminds me of the magic of this app. And it's been a long time since I felt that way about a new creator because there just hasn't been as many new creators. So I will leave you guys with that. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I am going to kind of make this where I just maybe every episode I'll tell you an anecdote of something behind the scenes in the industry that I did if I did something interesting. And then I will tell you about a trending topic that I want to dive into. A deep dive. Let me know if you guys want more creator deep dives like this. And leave it leave your comments in a review so I can read them and I can see what else you guys want me to talk about thank you so much share this with a friend who loves marketing as much as I do share it with a friend who's following Risa Tisa's story like we are thank you guys I love you I love you and subscribe to my YouTube channel and I'll see you on the other side bye have a great week